Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Building Resiliency in Difficult Times. Sesame Workshop has released a new collection of digital storybooks and resources to help families overcome the social and psychological effects of the pandemic. Also this morning, the pro-life view of the upcoming anniversary of Roe v. Wade and how their side is mobilizing for what could be an equally historic Supreme Court decision later this year. In our weekend high school basketball preview, the Findlay Trojans try to even their season series against track rival St. John's tonight. And we have more tasty and easy to make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, January 21st, 2022. Today is International Sweatpants Day. <laughs> it is also International Playdate Day, National Granola Bar Day, National Hugging Day, National New England Clam Chowder Day, it is One Liners Day, Own Your Own Home Day, and Squirrel Appreciation Day. So, I'm trying to think, if you uh, wear your sweatpants to a play date with... Uh, a uh, friend bring some clam chowder and granola, hug your friend in your own home while you watch squirrels uh, out your window. You've got it all covered. Let's try to figure out how to do that. So uh, some of the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. This one caught my eye yesterday uh, as I saw this news and I thought really is uh, interesting. At the University of Southern California, uh, back in October, they uh, issued an edict that all social events at fraternities on campus uh, had to be, uh, they were prohibited. They, they canceled and stopped all fraternity social events at uh, USC back in October after allegations of drug use and sexual abuse at several of these frat parties. Now, a report at the L.A. Times says that most of the fraternities at the University of Southern California will now be allowed to, uh, allowed to start having parties again. However, they will be required to have security guards posted at stairs or hallways that lead to bedrooms in the frat houses, uh, preventing guests from entering them as well as it... <clears throat> Uh, also, frat house entry points. There will have to be security guards. The security companies providing the guards must be hired in consultation with the university, and all USC fraternity members will also be required to undergo sexual violence prevention training. So, kind of interesting. I, I What do you think about that? I, I think that is a creative solution. Okay, you can have your parties, but you have to have security guards posted at the entrances and at all hallways or stairs leading to bedrooms. Interesting. I don't know if that'll make uh, parents of college students feel any better, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to kick off your Friday morning. A uh, sports item here. Major League Baseball this week has rejected the proposal the so-called sister city proposal 
put forth by the Tampa Bay Rays that would have had them split their home schedule between the Tampa Bay area and the city of Montreal. Team officials had spent two and a half years coming up with this proposal, which they pitched as the best way to increase revenue without permanently moving the franchise. The Rays' home attendance has been near the bottom among Major League Baseball teams over the course of the last decade. The sister city idea had been that it would take advantage of ideal weather in both cities. The belief would be that it would lead to higher revenue because of the increased demand for a more limited number of tickets in each city. Under the plan, the Rays would have played the first two months of the season in Tampa and then moved to Montreal in early June. Uh, presumably maybe then moving back to Tampa toward the end of the season when the weather gets really cool in, uh, in September. But uh, the cities would alternate hosting during the postseason if they were to make the playoffs, and both would get new ballparks. That might have been a killer. I don't know. Would you be willing to build a new ballpark for a part-time team? Maybe in Montreal because they don't have a team, but in Tampa, would they be willing to build a new ballpark for fewer games from their team? I don't know if that would have worked out, but that was part of the plan. Commissioner Rob Manfred told the team earlier this week the idea had been rejected, mainly because the logistics were too complex and it was too risky to make long-term commitments on the concept. So, with the lease on Tropicana Field expiring after the 2027 season and the Sister City proposal nixed, the Rays now will have to consider either a new stadium option in the Tampa Bay area or the prospect of a permanent move to another city. Whether that would be Montreal or not, I'm not sure because Montreal had a team and uh, they also struggled to put fans in seats. So be interesting to see what happens next on that front. Speaking of sports, the Winter Olympics right around the corner now. And when Team USA takes part at the opening ceremonies next month in Beijing, did you see this, by the way, they're being advised to leave their smartphones at home? Cybersecurity risks from China. So the athletes are being told, leave your uh, cell phones at home. Boy, that would be tough. I mean, there's going to be limited fans, limited contact with outsiders, and now you're telling the athletes they can't even take their smartphone to keep in touch with their families. That's That would be rough. But uh, this was the uh, story that I saw at the opening ceremonies. Team USA will be outfitted in smart clothing. Smart clothing. Ralph Lauren, the official outfitter of Team USA, will bedeck the athletes in a parade uniform featuring the company's so-called intelligent insulation. The technology, and I'm quoting here, adapts to changes in air temperature around the wearer without the use of battery-powered or wired technology. Hmm. Initially supported by the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy, which fosters leading-edge energy technology, the state-of-the-art fabric is comprised of two separate materials that expand or contract at different rates in response to temperature changes. So as temperatures drop, the lengths 
of the materials, the two materials, change differently, causing the textile to constrict and bend, creating channels in the fabric structure to increase the amount of insulation provided by the garment. The long and short of it is the apparel can transition through three seasons from and from outdoor to indoor environments seamlessly, eliminating the need for multiple garments. Fancy, fancy, fancy. And by the way, if you want to have some of this swag for yourself, the opening ceremony uh, parade uniform can be had. They will be, Ralph Lauren will be uh, selling it for the bargain price of $2,000. You can get your own Olympic uh, opening ceremony smart uniform there. Two grand. Yeah, it eliminates the need for multiple uh, garments, but for $2,000, I can, for a lot less than $2,000, I can buy multiple garments. You know what I mean? Anyway, you know what else is right around the corner? Valentine's Day and Sweethearts Conversation Hearts Candies, a product of the Spangler Candy, Candy Company uh, here in Northwest Ohio. Uh, are likely the first thing that springs to mind when you think about Valentine's Day. Typically, the hearts have messages on them such as you and me or XOXO. This year, Spangler has announced its 2022 theme for its sweetheart slogans will be words of encouragement that emphasize friendship instead of flirtation. Uh, Some of these sayings will include way to go, crush it, and High five. Now, they are not totally abandoning the classic messages. Be mine, hug me, cutie pie will also be in there. The 2022 theme aims to show recipients just how special they are, give their spirits a lift, and say a special thank you to anyone who helped them do and become their best. So, there you go. Words of encouragement on your sweetheart's candy for Valentine's Day. By the way, speaking of uh, Valentine's Day, did you know this? Uh, Build-A-Bear, the uh, Build-A-Bear workshop, they have launched a new product line called Heartbox just in time for Valentine's Day. They describe it as an adult gifting brand. I mean, typically you think Build-A-Bear workshop, you think little kids who get to build their own bear, right? So this is for adults. Uh, it includes a series of gift boxes that contain items that are not meant for kids. One is the Romantic at Heart box and includes, what the company says, is well-coordinated items like candy, tumblers, and uh, candles. And to go along with this, I did not know this. Build-A-Bear already has a section of its website called the Bear Cave. It features distinctly adult Stuffed animals uh, doing things like drinking wine, uh, sexy one in sexy boxer shorts, and one dressed up as a sexy devil. <laughs> the Bear Cave. You can only visit that section of the Build Bear website if you are 18 plus. <laughs> this is like the adult section of the Build a Bear website. I had no idea that that even existed. So. We have to check that out. Anyway, there you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. 
Your WTOL 11 weather, sunny and cold again today with a high of 24, clear and cold tonight with a low dipping down to around 12. A Hancock County grand jury has indicted a man on more than a dozen counts of pandering involving a minor. Court records show that the 73-year-old man from Findlay is facing 15 charges of pandering sexual-oriented material involving a minor. The indictment states that the alleged crimes happened in September. Get more on our website. State health leaders say that in most areas of the state, they're seeing new COVID cases and hospitalizations leveling off. Statewide, hospitalizations reached a pandemic high earlier this month and had been slowly declining for the last 10 days. And Dr. Vanderhoff says the drop has been the steepest in Northeast Ohio, where COVID hospitalizations are down by as much as 24%. The U.S. government is attempting to help ease the trucker shortage with a new program. A new federal apprenticeship will allow 18-year-olds to drive semis across state lines. 49 states and Washington, D.C. give commercial driver's licenses to people under 21, but they can only drive big rigs within their state. Now, this new program will take those young drivers and train them on interstate trucks. ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting, and we recently reported that Ohio's new commercial truck driver student aid program is now accepting applications. The Ohio Department of Higher Education says more than $5 million is available to promote and encourage job growth for Ohio's commercial drivers. Get more details on the program on our website. After a season that ended without a trip to the playoffs, the Cleveland Browns are regrouping for next season, including trying to get healthy. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield injured his left shoulder early in the season, and he had successful surgery to fix his torn labrum. Past year hasn't been very easy. A lot of stuff has gone down, and, and it wasn't wasn't easy on me or my family. So I appreciate everybody that's reached out that wished me well and good luck on the surgery, all the prayers and everything. Mayfield also took to social media to thank his fans for their words of encouragement. So the Browns didn't make the playoffs, but the Bengals are still in the playoffs and will take on the Titans on Saturday afternoon. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, we all know uh, how difficult these past couple of years have been on families everywhere. And now more than ever, it is so important for uh, parents and caregivers to help children build resilience and healthy communities and all of that. And with that in mind, the folks at Sesame Workshop are doing what they do Uh, on this uh, subject. Andrea Cody is with us. She is Senior Project Manager at Sesame Workshop, along with Dr. Arathusa Kirk, National Senior Medical Director at United Healthcare Community and State. Thank you both for taking the time. Andrea, I want to start with you. You are at uh, Sesame Workshop launching uh, new resources and storybooks uh, this week to help build resilience in children in the wake of all that we have been through. Tell us a little bit more about this initiative, this project here. Yeah, well, Sesame Workshop is the nonprofit behind Sesame Street, and we are so happy to be able to launch these new resources in English and Spanish to help kids build resilience and learn to thrive in their communities. We want to help every kid learn how to bounce back from life's ups and downs, the challenges big and small. And there are a lot of ways that kids can get there. Um, And with a little bit of help from our resources, the adults in a child's circle of care can help by demonstrating resilience through honest conversations and, of course, by being there. These new resources were made possible by United Healthcare, and the new content includes 
three new storybooks for families featuring our Sesame Street Muppets and a comprehensive online course for providers. And all of the resources are designed to help teach confidence, uh, to help encourage kids to practice persistence, and to help them learn how to deal with change, which are some key ingredients to building resilience. Dr. Kirk, Andrea uh, kind of touched on some of this, and I want you to expand on, we, we talk about how difficult uh, the past couple of years has been on families, um, but what are some of the specific challenges uh, that children especially have faced over the past couple of years? Kind of put a face on this. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're still going through the pandemic together. Um, and children do not exist in isolation. They exist in family structures and in communities. So the stresses that are experienced in families and communities actually also uh, very much affect children. One of the things that we've seen from a healthcare perspective is that there, this is translated to delays in preventive care. About one in four children, about 25%, have actually not had their preventive screenings that they need to get, which include their physical exam, you know, immunization catch-up, as well as um, from a preschool perspective, we uh, as pediatricians do a lot of developmental screening. So what they're missing then is that early childhood referral to early childhood resources for development, potential developmental delay or mental health, behavioral health challenges. Secondly, we've had a mental health crisis in this country um, prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And the U.S. Surgeon General, as well as uh, many others have actually identified that we're currently in a mental health crisis for children. So this is something that's a significant challenge that we're facing. You know, we, we mentioned that uh, you know, building resiliency, uh, we mentioned that word resiliency. And I, I think a lot of times we think of kids as naturally resilient, which to a certain extent, uh, there is that quality. Why is it important to help children build resiliency uh, beyond just what they come by naturally, I guess, for lack of a better term? The reality is that being flexible, being able to deal with change um, is a skill that's necessary for children to learn so that they can be thriving adults. And even though the notion is there that they're sort of naturally resilient, the only way they really actually truly develop skillful resilience is through the demonstrated uh, interactions that they have with skillful adults. Um, and those can be their parents, uh, other family members, or other caregivers in their environment. And the reality is children are existing in very sometimes very complex caregiving arrangements. And so having those caregiving adults um, show them the skills of, re of resilience, which includes dealing with change and um, adversity mm -hmm. will really help them be skillful adults. Andrea, this uh, project, as we mentioned, uh, is uh, made possible through this partnership with United Healthcare, and and I know this is not a a new partnership. Uh, your two organizations have worked together for more than a decade uh, on a, a number of uh, projects uh, involving uh, families and children's health. That's right, and Sesame Workshop and United Healthcare have have been working together, as you said, for over 10 years to support families, healthcare providers, and communities as they help kids everywhere grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. And together we've addressed a variety of topics, including food insecurity, physical activity, developmental milestones, and healthy habits. 
through lots of materials for parents and providers. And we also celebrate Grandparents Day every year to help support and honor the role that grandparents play in raising children. So we're so thrilled to build upon this really long-term partnership that we've had uh, and continue to provide great resources for parents and providers and all of the caring adults in a child's life to help kids build a strong foundation for lifelong healthy habits. Now, we mentioned the uh, digital storybooks that are available, and are are there companion resources for parents and caregivers to help uh, get the most out of that? Yep, there certainly are. So the resources are available in English and in Spanish and free for all parents and providers to access at sesamestreetincommunities.org slash resilience. And each of the storybooks includes a guide for parents to deepen the conversation and uh, help kids practice these important resilience building skills. We will link that up from our webpage uh, so that uh, folks can get quick access to it. Again, Andrea Cody is Senior Project Manager at Sesame Workshop. Dr. Arathusa Kirk is National Senior Medical Director at United Healthcare Community and State. Thank you both for taking the time this morning uh, addressing this very important subject. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, of course, Saturday will mark the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court's historic Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion on demand in all 50 states. Here now, almost a half century later, opponents of that decision are hopeful and proponents are fearful that that precedent may be on shaky ground with the decision pending on a key case that was argued before the current court recently. Mike Ganadakis is president of Ohio Right to Life. And Mike, I want to start by posing to you the same question that I did yesterday with the folks on the pro-choice side of this issue, and that is... As we come up on this anniversary, what do you see as the historical significance of Roe v. Wade beyond the obvious? First of all, thank you for having me on your program. I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you about this issue and for all your listeners at home. You know, the, the significance of this issue is the fact that in 1973, nine men at the time um, uh, at, on the United States Supreme Court invented a constitutional right that is not in the constitution you know i'm a 23-year practicing attorney i've read it cover to cover multiple times actually in my drawer here i keep a a pocket copy of it so here it is and um and nowhere in there is there a constitutional right to an abortion and with that decision being uh, brought down in 1973 it's led to the deaths of millions and millions and millions of of unborn children um and the ramifications that it's had on women so the historic nature of this today fast forward to 2020 and we're on the steps of a decision here, uh, we believe it's going to be in June 2022, is that, you know, do we want to live in a, in a country that values life? You know, we're one of seven nations that allows for states to legalize abortion up to and through the ninth month of pregnancy. Is that who we are? Is that what we want to be? I believe the answer is no. Culture has changed. Patterns are shifting. Young people are overwhelmingly uh, supporting of life and adoption and so on and so forth. You bring up the way in which this decision impacted women. And so often pro-life advocates are uh, painted as being oppressors of women's reproductive rights. The, The common argument that we hear is that these are decisions that are best left to a woman and her doctor. How do you counter that argument? 
Yeah, look, you know, we believe in uh, choice for any person, a woman or a man, you know, do what you want with your life. We live in the greatest country in the world. Be all you can be. You know, if you want to uh, get married, if you want to have one sexual partner, 10 or 15, that's your personal business. But when an unborn, when we're talking about an unborn child with their own DNA, their own life, because we know for a fact, this is a scientific fact, the only measure of success of an abortion is the death of an innocent child. We're better than that as a nation. So we do protect people in this country. We should protect all people, regardless of their age, race, creed, sexual orientation, whether you're born or unborn, old, special needs, what have you. All life is sacred and should be protected. That's what we're saying. Otherwise, live your life, do what you want. You also touched on the question of late-term abortion, and our friends on the pro-choice side also point out that more restrictive abortion laws uh, often lead to more late-term abortions. Is there an unintended consequences component to some of the laws that we've seen passed in recent years that concerns you? Uh, no, absolutely not. You know, uh, there's no statistical data whatsoever that would uh, that that claim made by the pro-choice side would be be true. In fact, it's a false statement. You know, in the past 11 years in the state of Ohio, and I've been on, on as president for the past 13, we've passed 25 different pro-life measures um, in, in Ohio to promote and protect life. Um, and the the pro-choice side said, "Well, all women are going to just go to Michigan or this state or that state." The data shows that's not true. So every, every unintended consequence claim that they make, we can show with statistical data because the Ohio Department of Health every year on October 1st has to put out the abortion report from the previous year. So we can look at the data, crunch the numbers. All your listeners can go to Ohio Department of Health website right now and look at the data. It's just simply not having. What we're doing, though, is valuing life. We're protecting women. We we are providing millions and millions and millions of dollars to low-income women, especially those that find themselves in in an unintended pregnancy. There are options out there. We at Ohio Right to Life supported Medicaid expansion. Remember that? Almost 10 years ago now because we said every woman should have a doctor. Your zip code should determine whether you should have health care or not. We support that, and we we believe women are better than abortion. Which uh, also goes back to the uh, question, as we mentioned, about that uh, uh, painting of uh, pro-lifers as being uh, opposed or anti-woman, uh, anti-women's health. Uh, as we mentioned, given the makeup of this current court, both sides of this debate see this as the closest we have been in the past 49 years to a reversal of Roe v. Wade. What happens if that happens? Yeah, uh, the other side's correct. This is the most pro-life court we've had in my lifetime, my generation, maybe my parents' generation, and elections have consequences, you know? And uh, when you elect individuals that say that they are going to nominate people to the court and the lower courts that are pro-life, they do that, hopefully. And that's why you, we have we have elections and we vote for them. So if Roe is overturned, um, what does that mean in the, in the United States and the state of Ohio, which we're sitting in? Overturning Roe v. Wade does not make abortion illegal. That's just not the fact. What it says is the issue of abortion goes back to all 50 states. Exactly. So California and New York right now currently have a law on the books that say a woman can have an abortion up to and through her ninth month of pregnancy. That's a fact. You can Google it and see the law yourself. It's out there. So horrific as that sounds, the, the individuals in California and New York elected people to pass those laws. God forbid, you know, it's so sad, uh, but that's the law in New York and California. In Ohio, we currently have a heartbeat law that's going through the courts, but we have a 20-week ban right now that's not been challenged. If Roe is overturned, we will have a law in Ohio that that uh, it makes Ohio abortion free, except in the instances to save the life of a mother, of course. Um, 
And we believe that's what's best for Ohio. And uh, and you're going to see all the surrounding states do the same thing. Indiana, Kentucky, West Virginia. You'll see it. Well, uh, maybe it, not Pennsylvania. It, well, that uh, actually kind of speaks to what I was getting to with the question. Does the battle on your side get even more difficult in the sense of instead of fighting one battle against the Supreme Court at the federal level, you're fighting 50 in the individual states? I mean, you know, from the pro-life standpoint, what happens if you get the decision that you hope for from the Supreme Court? Yeah, so you know we can't really battle the United States Supreme Court, and we're lucky when we get a case before them because they they're asked to hear thousands of cases a year, and they only right. hear about two hundred. So right. we're excited. So what do we? Do? I'm going to address your question specifically now. We win this battle in in. 40 of the 50 states, probably 42 of the 50 states, we win this on the uh, on the topic of life versus abortion on demand, which is what the pro-choice want, side wants. They want no one to ask, uh, access 100% up to and through the ninth month. I don't know many Americans, thank God, that support that. So we will win in Ohio. And once we win in Ohio, we need to have a post-row Ohio. We need to make sure that health care is available, prenatal care, parenting classes, access to formula diapers. And that, that currently exists. They currently exist in Ohio. We do a great job with our with our health centers, departments of health locally in all 88 counties in Ohio. We have over 150 pregnancy centers in Ohio that help women of need, and they're doing great work. So we're not there 100%, but I'd say we're 85 90% of the way there. The state of Ohio gives tens of millions of dollars every year for pregnant women um, throughout the state, regardless of what county you live in. So it's a great state to be in. When we win this battle, we'll go help other states uh, fight their battle, too. There has been talk of codifying the precedent of Roe v. Wade in federal law at the congressional level. Are you at all concerned that the, the fight at the federal level may not be over, even if Roe v. Wade is overturned? Well, as, we, as we've seen in the first year of President Biden, nothing's getting done. And Democrats control the House. Democrats control the United States Senate. And Democrats control the presidency. If they couldn't get their, their agenda done now, there is not a chance. And you know what? That they're going to ever be able to codify Roe v. Wade Fair in enough. any year whatsoever. Fair enough. And what are you doing to mobilize individuals on your side as we are in this uh, lame duck period, if you will, or this waiting, this holding pattern, waiting for this decision to come later in the year? Great question. It's the most exciting time. We're, look, we're cautiously optimistic. We, I, have, I tell anyone that will listen, if you try to predict what the United States Supreme Court does, you're going to look foolish. No one knows what they're going to ultimately do. These decisions aren't one pages. They're like 500 pages, and you've got to sift through to see what the new standard is. But we, again, we are cautiously optimistic. And I can tell you, our phones are ringing off the hook daily. We're doing town halls. We're getting in front of all of our pregnancy centers. We have over 50 local chapters throughout the state of Ohio, and everyone is excited. We're on standby. We're making sure that our houses are in order. So when that decision comes down, Lord willing, in our favor, that we'll be ready to go. We're passing a law, laws here in Ohio to make sure that we have everything ready to go when that decision comes down in hopefully early June uh, 2022. So it, it's it, there hasn't been a day uh, since the Dobbs decision was heard that we're not out and about at Ohio Right to Life in a county, at a town hall, in a church, working and exciting, explaining what we need to do to be prepared. You mentioned some of the uh, laws that have been passed in Ohio, including the uh, heartbeat bill. Are you optimistic that should Roe v. Wade be overturned, should you get the decision that, that you hope for, that uh, that in Ohio you can pass an outright ban on abortion? We are. We're very confident. Right now there's a bill in the legislature, Senate Bill 123, 123, that, w- that says, I'm just going to layman's terms here because I don't want to get in the 
tweets um, that if and when Roe is overturned, the law in Ohio automatically. So a trigger, a trigger law. A trigger, trigger our trigger bill. Senate yeah. Bill 123, we believe it'll get to Governor DeWine's desk in March. And uh, Governor DeWine's 100% pro-life, and I have no doubt that he will sign it. Again, uh, Mike Gonadakis is uh, president of Ohio Right to Life as we come up on the 49th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision uh, on the uh, eve of what may be an equally historic decision to come later in the year. Mike, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. We stand on the cusp of another weekend of high school basketball action. The Findlay Trojans, of course, lost a heartbreaker at the buzzer against Lima Senior a week ago and then got back on track against Southview on Monday. Games you heard right here on WFIN. Head coach Jim Rookie spoke with John Marshall about that and tonight's conference rematch with St. John's on this week's Coach's Corner. The last second shot left you with a loss to Lima Senior at home on Friday, then a neutral court win over Sylvania Southview on Monday. Friday... It seems like you really came to play with the Spartans, but uh, just couldn't quite get it done. Well, we did, we did not have a good shooting night. We needed to shoot the ball well, probably to beat them, and uh, we we didn't we didn't shoot the ball very well. And uh, we always talk about the fact that you know when that happens, you have to you have to be able to do some other things to keep yourself in the game. And uh, we were able to do that. I thought we defended them much better this game, and especially in the second half. And um, but, you know, so we gave, even though we didn't have a, a great night shooting the ball, we were able to do enough things to keep us keep us close and had a chance, and uh, their kid made a made a great shot at the end to, to, to win the game. Well, you, you can't fault a guy for making the clutch shot, so yeah. there you go. So much better than the 14-point loss you had when you met Lima Senior the first go-round. Even so, it kind of has to stick in your craw to lose t- two times to Lima. Yeah, you know they have a good team. Obviously, they're uh, they're very athletic. Uh, they've got some skilled guys, and but uh, you know we never we never uh, like to lose to them. That's for sure. Monday, you played Sylvania Southview at Rossford in the Martin Luther King Jr. event. Terry and Ross scored a career high twenty six to lead your Trojans to a sixty five fifty two win against a team that will be a league opponent soon. Mr. Ross has really come around on offense as the year has progressed. Yeah, Terion had a great game. Uh, he's been very active. He's done a nice job uh, rebounding. He, he makes things happen. He's got some great, great uh, explosiveness and athleticism. And uh, he, he shot the ball really well also. He was aggressive going to the basket, finished around the basket under control. Uh, hit a couple pull-up jumpers, uh, hit a three, got to the free throw line. Uh, also continued to rebound the ball, and uh, you know he, he had a he had a really nice nice game for us. Now, was that a mindset because it was uh, a kind of a, a showcase, or or just no, had think, a good game? Yeah, that's just the way it went. I think maybe the matchup of who was guarding him, maybe, and he felt he could attack and. We got some steals early on, and he got out and, and was the beneficiary of of uh, us getting a couple turn, uh, forcing a couple turnovers, and you know he hit a couple shots early and played with confidence, and uh, 
you know, uh, uh, came at a great time for us. That's always good. I don't want to forget to mention Max Roth. Uh, he scored 21. Jake Bishop had 12. Sam Ryrow out at, added six. So uh, just kind of an all-around pretty good game. Yeah, Max had a very, very quiet 21. He, you know, he was very uh, distributed the ball really well early on, was active getting a couple steals and uh, gave the ball up uh, to the right guy a couple times and, and really got us going. And uh, I, I was shocked to see he had 21 when the game ended. It just, just didn't seem like he was giving it up most of the time. Now, at this point, you're 9-4 and four yep. overall, 4-4 four yep. and four in the track. Coming up on Friday night, it's a Three Rivers Athletic Conference game with St. John's, a team that beat you by just three about six weeks ago. What can you apply <coughs> from that game to this meeting? They're very good defensively. They are they are a really good defensive team. They don't have a lot of size this year, but they uh, they uh, are uh, very active and, and aggressive defensively. They switch a lot of things. They you know they just think you're you know they they can all guard all positions if they need to, and uh, they pressure more than they more than they've done in the past. And kids are going to play hard. And uh, you know I thought the last game was a nip and tuck game and. Again, early on, being maybe a little bit behind uh, from uh, you know missing missing some practice early, uh, we just didn't have. We had a couple of bad possessions down the stretch. Didn't execute as well as we needed to, and uh, they were able to pull it out. Now, according to the school athletic website, you face Bowling Green at home both Saturday and Tuesday. That's got to be a typo. Yeah, we're going to play Tuesday. This is a game we picked up because we lost the game in the in the clay holiday tournament so we're going to play bowling green at home on tuesday the 25th trojan boys basketball coach jim rookie thanks for coming out again tonight sir all right thank you john it is uh, the trojans at st john's tonight here on wfin other games this weekend on our family of stations liberty benton is at macomb in bvc action over on 100.5 wkxa ottawa glandorf hosting van uh, van wert and van buren tonight and tomorrow respectively those games on 106.3 the fox you can follow all the area action in real time online at the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College. That's at WFIN.com slash scoreboard and also linked up at goodmornings.net. And, of course, catch the Coach's Corner with John Marshall Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. live from Ralphie's or anytime on demand at WFIN.com. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Dateline Johnson City, Arkansas, where authorities say a driver who fled a traffic stop on Interstate 40... <laughs> uh, well, let me just... Uh, let me just give you the, the details here. Uh, Sheriff's Department says the incident began when they tried to pull over a vehicle near the Franklin County line earlier this month. Uh, but he took off when he was eventually stopped. The unidentified man admitted that he had thrown some bags of cocaine out the window during the brief chase uh, while he was driving. And he had been snorting the rest. He didn't want to get caught <laughs> with it in his possession so he threw some of it out the window and snorted the rest so now they have him for possession and for driving under the influence <laughs> uh and after he was arrested they discovered that he was out on bond on a previous drug charge 
not the brightest bulb in the bunch right there. Here's another uh, story that, uh, again, proves the old old adage, there's an exception to every rule. We don't normally uh, include stories in the broken news where people die because it's not funny when people die. But it's not so much the, the death that makes this funny. It's the way the story was written up. Charles County Sheriff's officials are investigating. And I'm not sure Charles County where um, in, in what state. It just says Charles County Sheriff's officials are investigating after a man was found dead inside a home full of snakes. 49-year-old David Riston was found at his home on Raphael Drive on Wednesday evening. Sheriff's officials say there were more than 100 snakes inside the home, including a spitting cobra, which can shoot its venom up to 10 feet. Officials say the snakes appeared to be well cared for, and then the story goes on to say it's not clear yet how the man died. Well, I can take a guess. <laughs> uh, it's not so much that he died. It's the write-up and how the story was written up that makes it funny. Speaking of reporters in the uh, broken news, uh, a reporter for WSAZ-TV in West Virginia. Do you see this? The, the, there's video of this. Uh, obviously, because she was live on the air doing a report about a, a broken water main when she was struck by a car during the live broadcast. The uh, news anchor in the studio throws it to her for her live report, and an SUV turns into her and knocks her down. It's not at high speed, thank goodness, but uh, she quickly assured viewers she was okay before standing up, adjusting her camera, and finishing her report. <laughs> now that's dedication to the job right there. She <laughs> uh, After assuring the anchor and viewers that she was okay, she even assured the driver who hit her that there was no problem, uh, and she called the driver a very sweet person for her concern. I think for a lot of people, there'd be a lawsuit involved right there. I mean, there's video evidence. It's, anyway, uh, let's see. Imagine just going about your usual business and becoming a social media sensation just because you are out walking your chicken. <laughs> Melissa May from Verona, Ohio, and I'm not sure where Verona, Ohio is, to be honest, but uh, she posted the... Uh, posted the video on a Facebook group, including a uh, she posted on a, a Facebook group with a photo of her husband, Sean, walking his rooster on a leash. <laughs> she said the bird is named Carl and is very friendly. She went on to explain that someone randomly left the bird at their house about five months ago. She said, my husband is a carpenter and is always working in the garage. The rooster followed him in and hasn't left since. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken now has a harness and my husband takes him on walks on a leash every day. <laughs> he also likes it when you hold him. The chicken, not her husband. I would imagine her husband likes it too. But anyway, the uh, post uh, racked up more than 11,000 reactions and 1,200 comments in less than a day. <laughs> Nothing to see here, just a man walking his rooster on a leash. <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> Speaking of animals, rescue crews raced to a home under construction in Irvington. And again, I don't know the uh, state. It just says Irvington. 
This happened on Wednesday. They were called in to save a deer that got caught in some freshly poured concrete. Members of Wildlife Services, workers from Quality ProPest, along with firefighters, were able to get the deer out safely. It was not hurt. Crews released the deer back into the wild. But <laughs> that deer getting into you get stories about deer getting into uh, all kinds of uh, sticky situations. Yeah, trapped in wet cement. Crazy. Um, and, uh, how about this? You have to wonder just how large this man's pants are in Toronto, Canada. York regional police said yesterday that they were made aware of an alleged theft that happened back in late December at a Richmond Hill music store in which someone stole an $8,000 guitar by shoving it down his pants. Again, you wonder how how large this man's pants were. The stolen guitar is a Gibson Custom Shop 60th anniversary Les Paul standard electric guitar. Police have released images of both the suspects as well as surveillance video. The investigation into the incident is ongoing, but uh, apparently he did it by uh, stuffing the neck of the, the guitar down his pants leg and then holding, uh, hiding the body of the guitar under his sweater. So that's... Must have been really interesting watching him try to walk out the store with it. The investigation continues. Police are asking anyone with information to contact them or Crime Stoppers. Okay. <laughs> For somebody who was walking funny. And lastly, in the broken news this morning, after a snowstorm froze over the eastern portion of the United States this past weekend, police in South Carolina released body cam footage of Elsa from Disney's Frozen franchise being arrested. <laughs> video footage uh, posted by the department on social media shows Elsa enjoying the freshly fallen snow, but then spotting police and uh, taking off. <laughs> she tried to run from police. They eventually catch up with her despite her telling them, come on guys, just let it go. Uh, the uh, Pickens South Carolina police department noted on its Facebook page that no one was injured or severely frozen. <laughs> but that uh, Elsa's accomplice, the abominable snowman, is still at large. <laughs> That's kind of cute. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 W. WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Today marks the second anniversary of the first case of COVID-19 being confirmed in this country. And here now, two years later, COVID-19 is still a risk. But a new study highlights the activities in which you would run the highest risk of being infected. Now that we have two years of data on this, we know more about the virus and how it spreads and so on. Researchers analyzed outbreaks and super spreader events and studied 
factors that uh, both hinder and aid the virus's spread to design a mathematical model that takes many factors into account and spits out a percentage of risk of infection. So there's a lot of data here. Bear with me on this. Should be pointed out that this percentage, these percentages are not necessarily 100% accurate, but it does give you a good idea of the highest risk situations and the lowest risk situations as well. And in many cases, um, it's, it's ancillary things other than the activity itself. For example, if you were to go to a crowded movie theater with poor ventilation and a mostly unmasked audience, there is a 14% chance of getting infected if everyone remains silent before, during, and after the movie. If, on the other hand, people are talking and laughing and all of that, the risk of infection in that same uh, scenario jumps to 54%. Now, if the crowd is masked, the risk of infection drops to just 5.3% without people talking and 24% with the chatter. So that's kind of uh, interesting. Researchers say that given that COVID-19 spreads primarily through airborne particles, masks, ventilation, the number of people in a room, the size of that room, and the time spent in that space all factor heavily into the equation. Not surprisingly, being outdoors, masked, and surrounded by silence is the best way to avoid the coronavirus. But in many situations, changing just one single factor can be the difference between being relatively safe or likely infected. Here again, another example. If you work out unmasked in a well-ventilated gym, you have a 17% chance of infection. But if it's poorly ventilated, the risk jumps up to 67%. So you change just that one factor about ventilation and you go from 17 to 67% chance of of uh, of infection. And the bottom line in all of this, what I take away from all of these numbers is that this is what we've been told from the very beginning. If we mask up, uh, if we have good ventilation uh, in indoor spaces and stay outdoors when we can, then our risk of contracting coronavirus is relatively low. And of course, now you factor in the vaccines and everything else and the likelihood of a serious case goes way down as well but interesting numbers nonetheless my wife kyra has joined us in the studio this morning thanks for walking across the hall and oh, you're joining welcome. us <laughs> yes we're morning. i'm across we're, the hall right see, now <laughs> this is uh, i've got to i've got to explain is not happy with me <laughs> I've got to explain. But I'm very uh, here is the uh, here is the deal. We are originating the program from the home studio this morning, as we typically do on Fridays. But yep. uh, we are in in the middle of a major remodeling project. Yes, uh, my wife I did got it while he was gone last weekend. Yeah, this this past weekend when I was gone, uh, my wife made the executive decision that uh, she wanted to blow out our master bedroom. <laughs> 
and okay. uh, create a uh, a much larger master bath. Yes. Uh, or a more modern ensuite. Yes. So yes. we now have it. I wanted rather an than whether no now no longer do we have a master bath. Now it is an ensuite, or we will. Well, when it's we done. will. Right it now, it is nowhere near done. <laughs> we are just so right now we have uh, because our master bedroom is in shambles. We are living out of, or we are sleeping in the uh, guest room, and Which used to be Dustin's room uh, that used to be our son's room. It's now the guest room, <laughs> and uh, everything in our bedroom uh, is now. In other boxes, boxes in other rooms, including the studio here. Yes. yes. Uh, So I've got this like narrow path to get to the to get to the microphone. It's all going to be so awesome. It's like living in a hotel. Yeah. That is under I didn't even construction. Think about that. It's I like, could have put all of our stuff in a suitcase, and it would have just been like you know, like living in a hotel. Yeah. But it's like living in a hotel that is still under construction. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so sorry, honey. It is. Uh, it's going to be awesome though when it's done. <laughs> it's going to be awesome when it's done. <laughs> someday I'm going to have a tub again. Woo-hoo! Someday. I haven't anyway. had a tub tub for gosh, how long? Since we moved here, because our well, our best master bathroom right, did not have a tub; it it's a shower, shower only, only, and we're yeah. gonna have a tub. I'm now, going so. to have a tub again. Everybody's I'm so excited. Everybody's so excited for you. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thank uh, you. So thank you. it is. <laughs> it is time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's kitchen. In in the middle of all of this, somehow. Uh, Kyra has been able to come up with uh, another collection of recipes. This is a actually a one pot, one dish yeah. uh, dinner meal. I love these, and it which is really handy, yes. and it is in the slow cooker, yep. which uh, is awesome as well. Uh, specifically, we have slow cook slow cooker honey garlic chicken. Yes. So for the honey garlic sauce, you need a third cup of honey, one tablespoon of garlic minced, one eighth cup of soy sauce, a half a cup of ketchup, and one teaspoon of dried oregano. Um, Then for the chicken and vegetables that will go in the crock pot, it's Mm -hmm. one and a half uh, pounds of boneless chicken breast, one pound of baby red potatoes chopped up, a half a cup of onions uh, chopped up. Uh, one pound of green beans trimmed, or if you use the frozen green beans, then all you have to do is uh, put them right in. Salt and pepper to taste, and then two tablespoons of cornstarch and two teaspoons of water, and that's to thicken up your sauce at the end. Okay. So in a small bowl, whisk together your honey, your garlic, your soy sauce, your oregano, and your ketchup. Um, then add the chicken, the potatoes, and the chopped onions to a four by uh, four or six quart slow cooker. Okay. Um, then pour your honey garlic sauce mixture on top of the on top of the chicken and vegetables. Uh, cover the slow cooker, seal the lid, uh, cook on low uh, setting for six to eight hours on high, or three to three and a half hours on. Or I'm sorry, wrong. Low setting six to eight hours. If you got it on low mm-hmm. or on high, three to three and a half hours. So, uh, so depending on how much time you have, right. if you're starting it in the morning or in the afternoon. About 20 minutes before you serve it, then add your green beans 
and mix your cornstarch and your water together and add that to the slow cooker, then mix that up and cover, and that's going to thicken it up. So it takes about 15, 20 minutes or so, but that's going to thicken that up, that sauce. Okay. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. So you don't have to do the cornstarch Water. It would just be a it would thinner just be, consistency. Correct. Yes, it's okay. just, just going to be thinner. Right. Um, uh, then remove the chicken and the vegetables onto a serving plate and uh, drizzle sauce on top of your chicken and vegetables, and you're good to go. There you go. So that is a yep. one-dish meal. You've got yep. your meat, your veggies, yep. and the whole thing. Yep. Your potatoes, right your beans. There. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in your slow cooker honey garlic chicken, and yes. it smells yummy, too, while it's, yes. uh, while it's cooking. So, uh, and extra added bonus. That's yes. the that's the great bonus about the <laughs> slow cooker recipes is it just fills the house yes, with a unless you're working relic. from home all day. <laughs> yeah, then it's maybe then it's not kinda, such a good thing. You're like going over there trying to sample it. That's <laughs> that's when you use the high setting in the yeah. three and a, uh, three, three three and a three half, and half hours, hours. So yeah. you know. You don't have to worry about have to <laughs> at least not all yeah, day. Not all day. Uh, yeah. Then for dessert, we have a dessert recipe. Uh, this is Snickerdoodle Cobbler. Yes, so. say that five times fast. <laughs> Snickerdoodle Cobbler. So one package of Snickerdoodle uh, cookie mix, um, a half a cup of salted butter, one large egg, uh, one can of your apple pie filling, and three tablespoons of your caramel topping, your ice cream topping. Uh, so preheat your oven to three. 375 degrees and spray an eight inch baking dish with uh, your nonstick cooking spray. Uh, in a small bowl, mix your cookie mix, your butter, and your egg. Uh, place the half of the dough, um, kind of like spoonfuls. Yeah. And kind of place that on the bottom of your plate uh, or on the bottom of your uh, dish. Okay. Okay, so let you- me jump in here, real quick. Yes. Uh, just to, to clarify this, because uh, you talk about creating the the dough with the cookie mix, the butter, yeah. and the egg. Is that pretty much preparing the cookie, cookie dough, dough yep. according to the instructions? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. So basically, yep. you could say you prepare the cookie dough according yep. to the uh, instructions, instructions, and then yep. you, okay. Yep. All right. Yep. So once you've, um, once you've, uh, prepared that then um then take like a a tablespoon or just one of your um uh regular serving spoons a smaller serving spoon right and just kind of put some blobs on the the bottom okay okay so unlike making cookies they don't have to be the same or anything like that. not perfect or anything like that yep just spoonfuls yes correct so put that in then put your apple pie filling on top of that okay um and sprinkle with your cinnamon sugar mixture that comes with your uh, snickerdoodle mix right um if you don't if you can't find a snickerdoodle mix you can also use a sugar cookie mix and then make your own cinnamon and sugar so so that's really yeah that's yeah, that's pretty a good point a, because it's the sugar, same. Yeah. It's the same cookie, basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much a Snickerdoodle is a sugar cookie so with cinnamon and sugar. You can sugar. take a yeah. standard sugar cookie mm-hmm. and then add right. some cinnamon and sugar yep. and yep. Uh, have the same basic thing. Yes. Okay, yep. that makes sense. So spread your apple pie filling over the bottom layer. Um, add remaining cookie dough, uh, small spoonfuls across the top. Uh, sprinkle with your remaining cinnamon sugar. Uh, drizzle with your caramel topping and then bake for about 30 to 35 minutes and then top with ice cream and enjoy. Mm, man, oh man, that sounds like a, a wonderful yeah. dessert right there. Yes, and that, wonderful oh and goodness. easy. 
Easy. So easy. I, and again, that's one of those uh, recipes that's easier than it looks, yeah. and you don't have to tell anyone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So when you take that to your uh, potluck or, or what have you, mm-hmm. nobody has to know just how easy that was to make, unless they're listening to this program. So there you go. Uh, recipes for the slow cooker honey garlic chicken and the snickerdoodle cobbler. We've got them posted on the WFIN Facebook page and linked up at goodmornings.net. Recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning, my wife Kyra. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. Until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.